Welcome to Soccer Talk, a podcast about soccer, mostly in Iowa, presented by Kick It Forward. Kick It Forward is a positive disruptor to the Iowa soccer community. Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Insurance Services and Michael Keener, Attorney at Law. You need legal help? You need insurance help? Those are the two to contact. That's right. Welcome to the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Iowa soccer supporters. Welcome to Soccer Talk. I'm Ben Brack, your co-host, here with my buddy Blake Sievers. Sieves, what's up, man? Hey, Ben, we're a uh, little YouTube promo, right? That's right. We've got light. We have light. light we're today. not in the lair anymore. No, well, we are. We are, we have but light. it's, yeah. it's well-lit. It's uh in the house yeah um iowa native we should say as well uh yeah it was good to chat with craig and it was interesting kind of hear his perspective and to also kind of like put ourselves in the shoes of what it would be like to to run um a league of of such size and of the nature that it is with so many individuals involved that you're trying to keep happy that's a great way to put it yeah right on um okay well so let's just chat with him right yeah, I mean, he kind of talks a little bit about this, like you said, the scheduling and how that all gets put together. So it's definitely informative and learned quite a bit. Okay, Craig Winger, welcome to the pod. How are you doing today? Excellent. Appreciate you guys for having me in here. Uh, I know you're a longtime listener, uh, so you know the first question is coming. Which one's my favorite podcast? Hey, all right. I like man. that. Finally, somebody that just like cuts to the chase. A lot of people go like, oh. Um, so are, you a, sorry, are you a podcast guy? Like, do you listen to podcasts? I am not, but um, since I've been listening more frequently, I've realized it's really good for mental health. And I enjoy your Friday uh, evening station. Try to get out there for a walk and get some fresh air and listen to what's going on. Amen. We're, we're very thoughtful about our, our drive. Um, so then the other, you know, kind of way we always go is, Tell us just a little bit about your soccer journey, even though that's, you know, maybe you're not here to dig all into those details. We're here to talk business, but um, but definitely give us an idea of uh, who you are and where you came from and what, what, what soccer did for you. Yeah, well, for sure, our business is soccer. So um, my background, it's I hate saying it now, but it's like I've been involved in the game for 30 years, and I used to laugh when we'd go to conferences or meetings and been involved in the game for 50 years and I'm like oh like okay um, but I've been playing ever since I was six seven years old played at AYSO and recreational teams eventually decided to, to play you know back then it was called a travel team um, but it was just level nine under Dubuque um, played for the Dubuque Blasters which great <laughs> name by the way <laughs> is well I don't know do you guys remember the Dubuque colors like back when they were Shout out to whoever put those out, but they had like Cameroon colors. So it was like yellow socks, red umbro shorts, and then Kelly Green top. So they nice. Were, you would pull into any complex and you would have no problem finding the same team. So, <laughs> so clearly we didn't play against each other. I would remember that. Um, so what are you, like a late 80s? 83. 83? Oh, God. You're our age. Yeah. Right on. Okay, fair enough. So you were definitely uh, uh, one of the pioneers of the Dubuque soccer, right? Like there wasn't a lot, like I, there couldn't have been that many players playing. Yeah, it was, I mean, we grew up with mostly parent coaches. Uh, we had a, a coach that came in from Brazil and stayed with the family. And you know, we were fortunate enough to, to play with him, which, you know, opened our eyes to just the game of soccer and what it, what it means to people across the, the world. But, uh, I mean, we played Dubuque Blasters, which, Eventually turned into Dubuque Crew, I believe, which I got to see a little more league that happened with them and sometimes parents get involved and there's some frustration with the coaches and when you start to see those politics of coaches spending money to get people to come play. Um, but eventually that team went to Dubuque Crew and then Dubuque Reds and 
Um, played with them all the way through high school. We thought we were pretty good on the east side of the state and you know, some of the more recent stuff like we were talking about Iowa United, Riverdale Freedom, very quickly put us in a place for two years that once we played them two years kind of we were in the state cup so we're something else. But I remember Johnston County Thunder and Riverdale Freedom were the two teams that definitely opened our eyes and and kind of teed us up for the Thunder. Right? Or high school. <laughs> Look at that, man. Good minds think alike. What that? What high school? I went to Hempstead. Okay. So. Is that, yeah. the, is that the Catholic one? No, that's the Mustang. We were the Mustangs, so Waller, the, the Waller. Golden Eagles. Okay. Yeah, those are. Is that a, was that a big rivalry growing up? It was. It was. It was crazy because the rivalry was. It was, the club almost diluted that because our team was just split really two ways between the Dubuque Phoenix, Dubuque Waller, Dubuque Hempstead. So if you had like a four club, I'm sure it was better. But once clubs started to split you up, it kind of just became less of a friend. Um, the city, the rival games were always it was great, but it just was a, a little different dynamic. And at least we take on national stage. Any fake appearances in high school? Um, freshman year, um, we did get to state. Um, uh, me and one of my buddies, I think there was three of us. We got pulled up as number seniors to, to play, and I think we missed out a couple minutes. Um, and like that state tournament, then the next school year, um, we always played Bettendorf, my sophomore and junior mm -hmm. year. So you guys are the, the I was trying to figure out what class that was. But. Yeah, we were the we were the team that got, you know, in club we got shut down by Riverdale Freedom, and in high school we got not destroyed, but we got shut down by Bettendorf. I think we went nine years straight or something like that. Yeah, but they were legendary Ben Pennington over there. Trying trying them out. So. It's amazing, they like it, uh, if you can remember how they played then. Like we watched them play at the state tournament. Oh man, because mind you, like not necessarily soccer players on here, just drilled very well. Um, the game on the east side is was totally different, and, and I'll never forget. I mean, the first year we played Riverdale Freedom, we showed up and they had like the, the Nike Nerf Hackers, sticker bags, and stuff, and we just showed up and we're like. What are we getting ourselves into? And, and the motto back then was like, if you can't beat them, beat them. But then typically they outmatched us too. So <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, so talk about then, just kind of like how how soccer kind of got you. I'm sure it just influenced your education and like you speak with most of us and uh, probably your early twenties and jobs and stuff. Yeah, for sure. So um, after high school, I considered playing at the college level looking at like University of Dubuque and Morris, and I definitely wanted to, to get out of Dubuque at that time. Um, nothing against those programs, but also looked at uh, maybe Tucker Gary Lazow. Nice. <laughs> He's still around. Um, but decided to go to UNI, um, more so for the school. I knew they had like a, a club team, um, and there's a lot of college club teams, especially at the D1 level, because there's not a lot of women's programs. So, um, so continued to play in college. How was that? What was that experience like playing? So I was extremely fortunate. Um, we had a couple individuals that did a lot of work to make that club environment kind of a good environment. A lot, of, a lot of club teams, especially at the college level, it's like two weeks out and play. It's more intramural. Um, and we had really organized schedules. We went to Wisconsin and Minnesota. We played in regional events. Uh, we played a couple national events. Um, so it was. It was good. It was Did a you play with Brian Johnson at all? Brian Johnson? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Johnson Dragon there. So I just. Right. Okay. And, uh, and Howie United guy. Yep. Yeah. He was, I think he might be a couple years younger than me. Um, that might, so I played there and then eventually I started coaching there because a team like that, like you need someone at the helm to keep it organized and to, to keep people accountable, so to speak. And Especially um, club soccer. It's pretty fun though. Because like, don't you when you go travel, you just like go with another team or whatever, oh, it's just like well, a great, great weekend and off you go. Yeah, you're a bunch of college kids on a budget and I remember we went up to, to Duluth and University of Minnesota and we have, you know, the whole team staying in like two rooms. <laughs> um, it was it was wild, but the level of play is still, I mean, we always played University of Minnesota too and that was like our, our big rival and we'd come down and we'd be up there and I mean, we have, we probably have as many people watching those games as we do. Are you just tripping Drake? Or? 
What's that? And she it's just true. goes Drake. It's I, true. I think we, I think we actually came down and played. I remember playing some of her new songs. And it was, uh, oh, good. It was, yeah, it was a great experience. Um, I always told people, like, oh, you should go do it. Because, and then as soon as you lose those individuals, the program kind of has its ups and downs. And, and I'm not sure where they're at now. But, I mean, I, it was a, it was a great experience. And it definitely gave kind of my opportunity coming out of college and going to the Rogers Group of Coaching. Um, I was volunteer coach at the club level at um, Prudential and turned into, you know, I don't want to call it pro coach, but a paid staff coach. And then when Cedar Falls Waterloo, where I was, there was like the, the club dynamics between Cedar Valley and there was a new club um, that was FC United that was kind of put together to to create a higher level of play for high school age players to try to get them exposure. And then eventually, you know, they, they pushed forward back into Cedar Valley over a couple of years. But um, got to work with, you know, other coaches, other directors, and um, kind of saw the future in soccer, whether it's at the club level, the administrative level, either, you know, in indoor leagues every winter, and the guys that I played with and coached with, you know, do, it's always worked for them. They go to school and, and run soccer and do indoor leagues and stuff like that, so. So this was in the... Coached as a volunteer, coached in high school, coached kind of the college club team, and um, became kind of like the, the boys and youth director for FC West, and so we did a little exposure of, of different events, you know, not like the high level events, but just events that were club participated, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, we never, we weren't consistently competing for club or going to regional, so it's like, I have no idea what existed beyond that, um, but it did really get Eventually, I played full time at the club, and then after that, talked to Earl Taylor about what was going on here, and um, you know, there was just a couple people that were in the league before me, and it's like, if I would have known what I knew now, I would have quit. So that would have been an interesting discussion, but <laughs> the reality is, it's um, it's been good. I've I've had my eyes open to to what soccer can look like in the state of Iowa and beyond, and um, just enjoy the ability to try to do that and carry out because. Honestly, I, I didn't have that growing up, like stuff you guys are doing and, and the different opportunities in central Iowa now, it's like to, to watch the junior high level sports growing up in the Buick was like maybe we got lucky and watched the Girl Scouts or played in the, the Mud Puppies baseball team, but there was really, mud yeah, you could go down and catch the horse or you could watch whatever, but there wasn't a lot of, as a, as a kid, as a player, I didn't have a lot to look forward to, like I love my coaches, I love the club. I never, you know, even thought about preparing for, for the next level or being, you know, a high caliber man. And it's it's good to see that the, the clubs and the opportunities in junior high have, have supported your development and your growth. So. so now you're at Iowa Soccer. You've been there since when? And then what is your exact? I, I don't. I guess. Yeah. You should probably explain your role so we don't put our foot in our mouth. <laughs> that way there's no uh, It's always interesting no how like, people explain my role to me because that's the <laughs> Here, let me try real quick. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, going on six years, uh, I'm the, the competitions director, which, you know, from from the onset, it was really taking uh, taking on the what was the Iowa Premier Soccer League. Um, eventually, we, we kind of rebranded that as the Iowa Soccer League. I'm not sure. At the time, I mean, what the league is and what the league isn't. But um, took over the league. We eventually got more involved in some of the state cup competitions as just a, a competitions director. I'm already working with some people at this point, but I eventually take that on and, and Jeremy Roeder ran those cups for 10, 10 years. So it's like, well, it didn't make sense at the time. And now I can realize it was kind of crazy. Um, but I do think with a vision of all of that, I think we made some, some good moves in the room and as the president of both proud of and happy that we 
adopted because again we're coming from a club where I think you know we we made it such a big we did such a name that was beyond that and now we're starting to recover we're offering that opportunity to a lot of folks that that didn't know that this was there. Yeah. Just uh for people I don't know there may be some that don't know is necessarily a difference or being president of the Southern State Cup, um, what what is the uh, you just out of curiosity just to give everybody an idea of yeah it's a state cup competition or a state competition but can you just kind of yeah. briefly explain kind of the differences there and then maybe about like how much success Iowa has had yeah for sure so the way some people look at it as I mean it is a second tier competition but the reality is it's it's still a very high level play especially when you're Not always the case, but I've made the argument in the past that you know some of our top one and two seed teams, if we went to regional sessions and stuff, they're probably going to win some some pretty big competition there. Um, so it is a second tier. We've always tried to figure out what the numbers is. Should we target the state cup? Should we target the president's cup? Because years ago, US Youth Day promoted it as like this amazing club event, but the reality is for us, like the president's cup is still a high level, and some of our It is a second tier event, but it's still a high level play. And what I like about it is it really, it offers the players and the clubs the same pathway, not the same, a similar pathway, a similar experience as the, the teams that go on and win state cups again and again. So the events are very similar. There's you know college coaches that attend in both of those regional events. There's opportunities to run, there's playing. Um, but at the end of the day, I think in regards to the successes, I've seen, you know, clubs that don't typically get on to a regional level make a regional president's cup. I've had clubs that have not really been pleased that that's where they ended up in president's cup. I've seen them go to regionals. I've seen them go to nationals. And I've watched the kids. I watched the coaches. I watched the parents. It's like they don't, they don't care that it's president's cup. Like you're at a regional, a national event. You're playing teams like Texas, California, New Jersey. Um, so it's. It's always interesting because there's always that kind of misconception of how that, you know, I'm going to call it the Walmart cup. It's like, it's not really fair because as soon as you realize it's actually a high level of play, it becomes a teammate for our club. So um, a lot of people were very supportive of it at the beginning and some people were skeptical, but um, I do think we've come a long ways in a few years. And we're hosting National President's Cup in July, so anybody who, who wants to check it out, it'll be July 7th through the 11th. What a plug. I love it. I didn't, you wouldn't think it's his first podcast, would you? Yeah, I know. Or he's just been listening. He's just taking notes. Let's go check that out. Uh, it's hot. Yeah, it's a national event, so yeah. they'll play at Always 8 hot. and 10 and then they'll yeah, yeah. Nine, But so. it's better than the turf. I mean, you've got yeah. to open the park on the turf. And Yeah, where do I start? Um, should I keep this brief? But um, I mean, really, the 
the league has gone through a couple different transitions. And, um, a lot of that information got buried around our website and became CDL. And it really started, you know, with club directors looking for a solution to get competitive matches and, and Ted, um, I know you guys talked about Ted and his team. And, you know, he was Ted Bizdig, the legend. You bet. Like, the, I used to, I was at a club, so I used to, I, from playing in And when I started, um, I, I connected with Lisa, and Lisa was great. She kind of gave me as much information as she could at the time regarding some significant changes that the league would make. And at that time, I didn't realize what I was really getting into. Um, Lisa Creek, right? Yes. Okay. Yep. And then um, this is back when Jane Brack was still at ISA, right? Yeah, this was uh, <laughs> this was back in when Jane was at ISA. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jane was great. She uh, she consoled me one day. I said, "Man, you have to have a fight like that." Here, here in the coach's pickup game. <laughs> so, um, no. I've heard about that tackle. Yeah, it was it was brutal. Or having crazy fans. But, <laughs> um, no, I think again the, the the major difference at that time and then kind of going into Lisa's time and then my time with the league is um, Ted worked wonders, um, especially you know for those clubs and those were the kind of it was, it was important, like that was the only way the league was going to grow was to, to get something established and, and go there. And when I came in, like I met with Lisa, I, I sat down and I went over to, to Ted twice. And it's like, you've got this house, and I don't know if you ever touched that place. Yeah, Christmas tree farm. I think yes. the most uh, incognito Christmas tree farm, right, Ben? Yeah, well, I've been before. <laughs> yeah, so the first time I go over to his place, he's like 7.30 in the morning, and He's got a cigar and, and some, some bourbon, and it's like, if you want to schedule, it's like, my kind of scheduling, right? <laughs> you have to get into a good place. Cause, I mean, he was he was an absolute genius when it came to scheduling, and, and for the last six years, I mean, I work with people that do scheduling for a living, and it's it's not easy. And he tried to sit down and show me his point of view, and it was interesting coming from someone who just you know was handed that schedule to then see what happens behind the scenes to make that work. And, That's um, a super smart guy. Yeah. He, and I just say he's a genius. I'm yeah. sure that is the definition of that is unknown. But yeah, fair enough. I, I tried to, I sat down and, and scheduled with him, and, and I didn't have much bourbon or cigars. I was like trying to keep up with him, and he was keeping a form on us at that time. But uh, love Ted. He did a lot of great things. The league, you know, it, does, it just wasn't sustainable. And Ted was someone that could work. 60 hours a week, and you know, at the end of the day, he did it because he wanted to do it. He was very purpose-focused, and he made that very clear. I'm going to do it for 60 hours a week, and when it changed, you know, we still had that mindset of association with the reality is we were also doing our part of it. And you're trying to schedule, do I dare ask, how many teams? I mean, typically it was around 300 teams or so. It's, it's gone up. Um, it's gone down a little bit. But it's it's always been a significant number of teams, and you know there's been a lot of growth within the league. But the reality is, is the league has never been silent. Um, the league on the east side is a pretty unique place, and there's a handful of of different leagues within the league, and that's kind of where the transition came from ICSL to ISL. The vision was, um, you know, we were meeting with people in North Iowa, West Iowa, West Penn, so on and so forth. I was at a club that had over 200 teams. I knew what it took to, to manage these leagues. It's never easy. Um, but what we tried to pitch them is like, look, let us focus on managing the league and we can focus on managing the clubs and the coaches and focus on the players. Because we knew I was at a club that I was trying to manage the club, but 80% of my time was actually trying to manage the team. And I was extremely fortunate at the club because I had volunteers that were essentially full-time staff the different kind of styles in managing the leagues throughout the years. For us, it was trying to get something that was sustainable, trying to deliver a product. Um, as the league grew, we knew we had to still be careful with you know, what each of these products looked like because the, the top teams need different products than the lower tier competitive teams, the major 
Talk about some of the, just like the basic logistics of putting together a schedule, because I think that so well, I, I interrupt you, Ben. I wrote down uh, scheduling software because uh, <laughs> we just start to schedule, or we did yeah. it, but it was a disaster. Our Twenty wins in one team right. event, and right. Well, and this is that's what I was going to say. Is that the, going, going. yeah, yeah. So talk about some of the logistical things, and to your point. Um, I think that the layman, just like if you would just walk down the street and you're like, yo, how do I put together a schedule for, for a league? And they'd be like, get some software. And it's like, uh, it's really tricky to just plug a bunch of numbers in or, you know, and say, spit out the formula and go for it. Because what you're dealing with is somebody that has blackout days. Uh, you've got certain travel restrictions. Certain coaches are coaching one team, two teams here, there. And you're trying to take all this stuff into account, I think. <laughs> no, so, um, and that's that's the difference. So Ted was, you know, a table this size and paper and pencil and, and the knowledge that it took to build that schedule where, um, I mean, I think our most advanced scheduling since Ted was, was teams competing. We used to identify that at Boston. And Tim's been, we worked with him for really the first five years I was with the league. Um, it's, it's a program, you know, algorithm. Scheduling aspect, like to, to kind of strip it down. You need dates. You know, you need dates. You need teams. You need you know, similar competitions. You need availability. You need to know the coaches. Because again, you, we've always said to have the perfect league, you really have to have the perfect setup. And every team has their coach, and every team has their own facility. And their fields are available for when they need to play. There's there's a lot of things that everybody knows when you create a schedule, but the reality is we don't always have that. Um, and I do think there's been you know, a considerable amount of attention and effort that's been given to facilities. For example, there's a, a lot of new facilities around Central Iowa and Eastern Iowa that are going to improve our ability to, to provide better schedules. Um, in addition to that, it's you know a, a lot of the discussions that are recently regarding like a simple solution for the league Right now, within ISL, like we've tried to create a very flexible environment that doesn't really allow the league to get to that point. Because on any given day, even though we scheduled this team, that doesn't always mean this is the team that's showing up to play this week. And, and that's, you know, we get so a lot of it. Is that driven then just basically like by the rostering, of like the flexibility of the rostering, right? It's not. Yeah, it's so, again, and, and this is where it's kind of it's fun to talk about what the league could do a bit more, because the reality is, right now, the league is extremely flexible because it's, um, at the end of the day, we want the teams to be playing. And sometimes it's at the club level, sometimes it's with the parents. Like, it's at a club like Cedar Valley, we didn't always have the best commitment from those players, so we always rostered the max number of kids. And at any given day, we might have 10 or 14 or 18 kids that show up at any given day. But we wanted to make sure that those clubs could ensure those Throughout doing that, it's like you remove some of that structure that's necessary to get the best competition. And, and I mean, as you guys can imagine, you hear from the directors, you hear from the coaches, occasionally you hear from the parents. Like you're getting feedback from all these different levels about what they like and what they don't like. And, and our challenge is always, you know, we, we formally go out and we run surveys and try to gather that information, but we're taking feedback 365 days a year, really. Um, and we have to kind of best way to try to move it forward for all of our members, which would, you know, in the past, you know, we probably had a 90-member club, you know, 15 clubs, 20 clubs that participate in our leagues. Now we have, you know, two-thirds or three-fourths of those clubs that are participating in an Iowa soccer program. And so as that grows, so does our, our mindset of, of how do we move this forward. Yeah, and I think, I mean, as an outsider, just that's a challenge when some of the smaller, when I say smaller, I mean like numbers-wise, you know, maybe some rural clubs. I remember back in the day.
would have kids that during the fall, oh, we can't play on this date because we have homecoming. Okay. Like, I laughed at that, but that was never the homecoming for me either. Uh, <laughs> but then you, got, you know, then you have these some of the larger registration, you know, player clubs are doing all these different leagues, so they can't play certain days. So you're trying to squeeze. window of the fall season in 10 weeks? Yeah, it's usually 10 or 11. 10, 11 weeks. That's and you're not, how often are you able to schedule during weekdays? So we haven't much, but I do think, I think that's an opportunity for the future. Especially helps. north of field. Yeah, that, that helps if you have the facilities there. I mean, it's just a mindset. People are used to playing games on Saturday. Like, it used to be Sunday was the primary day for me, but, and based on clubs' availability, I think to, to go back to just the, the example is, you know, you start with those dates, you start with your seedings, some of these teams are limited because, you know, you've got coaches that may help them through injuries. You know, the idea with the coaching block, the ideal is that that coach is going to the one site where they're both those seedings, but we, sometimes in doing that, we're actually scheduling teams in places that, that not going to be able to forward to the athletes, but um, we, we've dealt with At the end of the day, the, the two different leagues are just very different priorities. Um, they're both trying to solve a problem, um, but I think for, for us, it's, you know, we talked about some of the things that they're doing, and, and I like some of the things that they're doing in regards to kind of the peer accountability, and, and we talked about, you know, the play dates for boys and girls, Saturday, Sunday, and then on the flip side, I'm thinking, okay, we start off with 20 dates, let's say 20 things in the fall. Of those 20 dates, take away two full weekends, three full stuff, and seven stuff for each of these teams, and we're trying to get that down to two. So you have seven out of your ten weekends now available. In addition to that, you've got member tournaments on almost every one of those weekends, but the membership, they want to participate in their own events, they want to support the other events. So if you look at like our state cup teams in the past, in the fall, we only have four weekends of the ten available to schedule those and then when you, so every time you, let's say if you play boys on Saturday, girls on Sunday, or flip-flop every week, you've already taken away half of your schedule. So you've lost half of those opportunities to schedule the right teams at the right seasons at the right time. And it's like, this is all like operational stuff that challenges the league, but then you get into kind of the player development and just the, to the standards that like we feel it's important for kids to, to play a league regularly, so they're not playing in June and have a month off where they have to do it some other event, but the reality is you have to look at the scope of, of what each team is doing, and I mean, we talked about the training and games, like, so there's so many things that, that we also talk about, unfortunately, a lot of times it's the operational restrictions that we have to make decisions on rather than being the pressure of the parents, but the reality is, how do you find this balance between the two and end up getting a schedule much as we say, we kind of laugh about the homecoming and, you know, of these, it's the reality. Everybody has reality. these challenges, and for us, it's like, I'm sorry, we don't accommodate that, and we schedule those, we know those games are going to be played. So, again, we're scheduling, right now, I mean, our numbers are down, but we're scheduling about, like, 2,300, 2,400 games this spring, and, you know, Colin's working on Talk about the Google spread. You guys still use the Google Drive spreadsheet? Um, well, we've tried. We've tried <laughs> everything, really. Okay, well, I, to me, that was like, you, so talk a little about the efforts you guys are making because it used to be, well, this is years ago, but you would put a thing in the spreadsheet and I'm assuming it was you had to go through how many, I mean, so you have 300 teams, each person had to comment on why this quote wouldn't work for them. Yeah. So I'm sure you got, uh, 
large amount of feedback, but you're having to go through and review every single comment and request we try. after the fact. Yeah, so, and, and the arguments are made, like spreadsheets and algorithms can't build schedules, and that's not how tech scheduling, I mean, there was a personal touch, but the reality is, is within our scheduling, especially with teams and teams, like there's, there's the generation of the schedule, and then there's all the work that goes into to optimizing is the word we use, um, or improving that schedule based on all of the different elements that come into play. And I think for us and our membership, like the timing where we collect all the information to build the schedule, that's tough for us to collect, that's tough for the club to collect, and a lot of times the information we give that we build the schedule on, that information might change between when we start scheduling and when we end scheduling. So as challenging as that is for us, a lot of times we're just like, hey, we told us you're available, this is why you got scheduled. But again, the reality is, is that game can't happen, so how do you fix that? And I mean, with, with teams competing in that process, I mean, there's always hundreds of things, and that was only the public view. There's always that internal piece that we're dealing with bigger issues. And it's, I'd like to come up with a way to, to build a perfect schedule within our position, but the reality is it's incumbent on all of us to have perfect data and the perfect environment, which is the scope plan, which is one team is available in the team, and we've got our own facilities. Like it's, it's, and that's the, I mean, we, we continue to have that challenge, and I don't know if that answer is, but I love, obviously, hearing the different conversations that are taking place because we all want to succeed. I remember going You don't need to comment on that either. So no, we'll go ahead, Ben. We'll let that one ride. Um, so the one thing that kind of strikes me as you're talking about this is, is you know, you're dealing with <coughs> trying to you know, shove a certain amount of games into a very, very small amount of time. So to me, it's like, okay, we play less games or you lengthen the season. It was something that I, I want to say we mentioned it, Dan, or but I don't know. We mention it somewhat often, but how much conversation has been around say every day, but every day when we think about how we improve things and what needs to change to support that, it always comes down to the calendar. And like I said, when you look at our fall calendar and you look at it through the context of our elite teams, our our elite teams, like I, those are teams that are actually playing in the, in the regional Midwest Conference now. And um, they're on a different calendar or in our eyes, a different calendar because they're in different divisions. In the Premier Division, calendar itself, when you look at each of these different kind of playing levels within the calendar, it's it's too much of a cluster. And I've always said the league needs to take a bigger priority if we want the league to work. I mean we've you know we've got some clubs that want nine or ten or more of these games and then there's some clubs that are like give me the minimal games. Unfortunately it's difficult because minimal games impacts our ability to give people a regular schedule or vice versa. So um, the calendar, we talk about high school, we talk about some of the things that, that could change. I don't know the likelihood of that happening, but it's going to shove year after year after year. And, and I'm hopeful that we get to a point where we're, we're not just discussing it, but we're doing a better job of planning how do we fix this. Because again, the, the calendar a lot of times is driven by tryouts, by regional champions, all a concern that I think we all have moving forward is, is what's best for the game kept up younger than people. They're done playing June 6th unless they go play in a tournament. That's when it just doesn't even get like that. Like we're, we're trying to force teams in the early part of April because of the calendar 
And do we decide that we can change to, to open up some opportunities and you know, take back some more stuff on plus if you can really focus on products and you know, focus on the administrative things. And the thing that we don't talk about enough is training day. Like they've been going hard all fall, all spring, and it's, it's always been kind of the unspoken thing is it's a time where those coaches can have more time with themselves as well. <laughs> the dangerous, uh, dangerous problem. I mean, we well, talked about the, the record, um, like doing summer lessons, and, and some of it. A lot of us, you know, we've we've been totally ingrained in, in what we've been doing, and we forget about just creating new opportunities. And I think that's a unique situation that we've all had during this pandemic, which has been brutal on all of us. But it has required us to think differently about what we offer. But you know. Talked about how do we just get kids playing in the summer? Like a lot of our programming, this is kind of where where I want to spend more time coaching is is, is ISL, trade prep, president's prep. Like it's all it's very flexible, but in my opinion, it's very formal. And in doing that and focusing on that, like I was at a club at Cedar Valley where you know we had under over three thousand kids at, at once, which we could have meant five thousand kids. We just weren't getting to those different areas of the community where kids were already playing soccer. Um, you know, you have the mini pitch idea and then some of the football. And I think we all need to be spending a little bit more time on these, uh, you know, obviously the heads of the underserved communities, but the reality is we're, we're at the formal soccer that's easier to get into and easier to play. And in the long run, that's going to bring us more money back to the club. Yeah, I wonder, I think that to me, the Some kids, they need to find a way to be more competitive. Some kids, they just want to go play and be free and just like do it on their own. So it's so hard to like, you can't put it in, in a box and say, well, this is how you get to the next level. It's going to be a little bit different for everybody. It's all about how do they get hooked. Um, my answer to your question before, I would, you, you mentioned, how do you get more meaningful games? Um, and that's where I just go, I think, just make them all competitive. That's where I think sit with that a little bit. I, and I try to answer for Craig and I'll let Craig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, please do. Please. Answer, please. <laughs> That's where you get All right, Craig, what do you think? Teams and clubs uh, that have different development philosophies. So if they think the correct way to develop a player is A, and sure. I mean, we'll talk, I'll, talk, I'll call it out, positive that. Sure. So they bring. You've coached not playing. Yeah, they bring bottom pod or top and a bottom to a team, and you show up and or they bring the top two pods and they smash them or you get smashed and it's like it's literally a waste of time. So uh, you're right. and that's I don't know if it's that's the state's job to say, hey, here it is and it is what it is. I don't know. Well and I was gonna I was gonna bring that up earlier when we were talking about the um, you know, that you're gonna you don't, you can never be sure on like what team's gonna show up. Um, you know, you might have the A team or the B team or the, the C team, whatever. Um, but if even if they're supposed to play the A team team might show up because that's just what works that weekend because they're all registered under the same club. So you're spot on. And an example of, I think, what's challenging us, and this is fairly recent in Dutch last fall, but the clubs, and, and kudos to them because they're trying to do the right thing by giving, you know, I'd always say define meaningful matchup because that's a question that, depending on who you ask, you can never get a different answer. But um, what happened was the clubs are looking at the schedule and they're like, Wow, we got whacked 8-0 by this team. We need to we need to pull in some players that's going to help them get competitive. While at the same time, that club, because they're not creating anything, they're just trying to do what's best for the kid. At this point, they're going, geez, this team has a zero. We're going to send this group of players. Well, now this team got ramped up. And this team went down. Well, then the next game is even worse because we got people that are trying to influence that. When the reality is, like I said, we talked about the 80 minutes. idea of, like, to me, I played different sports growing up, it's like, you just kind of make that commitment that 
this is my team, this is the lead, this is the division. And sometimes there's always a black team and there's always a white team. And that's the reality. But it wasn't being influenced or manipulated equally. Um, there's, there's pros and cons to both of those, but as a state association, it's like where do you where do you get involved in regards to to trying to get consistency in how you manage your players? Teams, the base or sorry, clubs. Clubs submit X number of teams per age group, correct? You guys get a list of what X number of teams per league, say 13 yeah. girls age group, and then you guys basically with their schedule or their date, their blackout date, and you say, and they say, here you go, guys. Here's is that kind of how the so so we work to do like a preliminary divisional placement based on the information that they provide us. Um, one of the things, especially with women's, it's something that I needed to get back to is is we used to do like an in-person divisional placement. Again, that's that's the benefit of, of having everyone together and talking about those teams because the reality is is it's it's helpful to have they the directors and the coaches they know those teams way better than we do. So they provide us some level of information when we put the divisions together. But the other thing we have to manage, especially now, is well there's there's seven teams and of them only want a field. So the teams that want a full schedule, they need to play other teams in order to get those games. Um, but we would love to get back to that more in-person uh, divisional placement process. Um, and fortunately, with we just talked about Zoom, like we're all Zoomed out, but it does make it much easier for everyone to jump on at 8 o'clock and say, we're going to talk about 13, 14 girls. And maybe one of those teams has a team that could be a There is a ton of, you know, what, what parents and, and a lot of people that are interested in our work at clubs are doing to try to get that information set up correctly on the front end because our schedule, you know, all the feedback we get is like, it's only as good as the information that we put in the community. Um, and we, it doesn't matter what, I mean, we can recruit around the job for sure, but we need that information to be more accurate and we need to find ways to, to get that so the schedules and we don't problems for the kids. So to, uh, another thing, just to circle back, which you know, I ceded my ground this leg there, maybe I should have held it. Um, but so you were talking about um, how it, you know, in any situation, you kind of got this um, maybe this lack of loyalty. I don't know exactly how to say it, but you said, wouldn't it be great if everybody just started with the club and you just like stuck with it the whole like from 11 to 18? I think that's like, it's one of these things, I, I mean, I can say I'm guilty of it. I tried to stick with my club and then I got to a point where I said, you know what, I just I have to go, I gotta do more. Um, right or wrong, that was just what I thought. Um, I think you kids think that all the time. So you're, okay, hey, I play for a team that got third place in the state cup, but I'm the best player on the team. I bet I could make the, the first place team and I'll just leave. Um, and so I wonder if you might, I feel like there's gotta be some sort of like, you know, you sign for a team and then you're committed for two years four years or whatever or I know you can't do that but it's what about just a, a season just here's your roster for the fall season sure and but then maybe but then take it forward team a take it forward team but so then w. when you lose when you lose at the end of the season you just switch teams and so that for that top team just continues to inflate and get bigger and bigger and bigger it's no different than the transfer market in the pro game correct so that's why I'm saying like if, if we're trying to to make a perfect model that's the challenge you're always going to run into is that these kids have the ability to constantly just move and they can just go to flip flip back and forth between, between whatever club they want if they don't i'm craig you're not playing me i'll go play for blake blake likes me and then i find out blake doesn't like me either and i'm stuck or you go to and then i go i don't know who likes me but katie but nobody yeah, likes me so <laughs> right but you know what i mean that, that's the that is the situation and so i've, I've coached for teams where um you know, you just realize you're, you're getting these kids that are, you know, well, I didn't like playing over there, I didn't like playing over there, well, I'm just shuffle over here. And so I, I don't know how you fix that. Um, it just, I just no think comment. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a culture thing too, right? I mean, yeah. you know, think about the movie we grew up on, like the Mighty Ducks, right? Like, you know, when they redrew the lines, uh, you know, the old cake eater, what was he going to do? He want, you know, he didn't want to go play for the Ducks, he wanted to play for the Hawks. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is where, 
it takes me to a different place because over my time, you know, again, I, I talked a little bit about how I grew up and how it led to where I'm at now. Like, as I gained more confidence in what I was doing at Iowa Soccer and some of the things that, you know, we tried to take positions on in the last couple of years, like, we're really trying to, what we want from a competition perspective within Iowa Soccer, we want our programs, our competitions to help improve the overall experience of the kids and their teams and those fans. And through working with our membership and trying to create what we feel is the best product, we're hopeful that because of that, those families will enjoy their experience. And we've all, at Iowa Soccer, I mean, sometimes it's an argument too much to try to keep people at the club. I mean, we've heard, I think everybody's heard that. We just, we want to support, we want our programming to be supplemental to the club's experience. Every club at Cedar Valley, we sat down and we said, here's our teams, here's their level of play. Let's have a discussion with each one of these coaches. What do you want the experience to look like? Are we competing in Midwest Conference? Are we competing in the premier division of the state league? Are we just competing in ISL? Maybe you're doing that. But you have a, a unique conversation regarding each one of those teams. And you're just trying to give that group of kids and that group of families the best experience possible so that even if they win or lose, they're like, hey, we had a great time. It's more like what I miss most about coaching is, is having that ability to just provide that experience. And I'm, I'm old enough now that I've seen a lot of kids go on and just experience a lot greater than what I'm doing. And it's it makes you feel good. And I think when we talk about soccer, and like I said at the beginning of this, we don't talk enough about just the game and, and the positive side of it is there's so many other benefits other than just we're going to St. Louis to play games. Like we're going, it's it's much more than a game. And I think that's why, I think that's why we all spend as much time as we do in it because there's so many benefits outside of the game that that we can take advantage of and share with people. Um, and, and I truly believe that if you just provide that level of experience, you actually help minimize some of that. I mean, at the top level, you're always going to see that player that wants to get to the first team. Um, and I don't think there's anything you can do. Like you guys, Ted Leroy on here, like I worked with the 99 ODC youth and I was just lucky enough to, to see him train and play and, and we were in the roster, I think, for a regional ODC team. Like I went from Cedar Valley working with kids that they were quality and they beat us with stuff that we were never going to win to then getting to work with a player like Leroy and, and hearing what he had to do to, to get to the level that he was at. Like the reality is you know, we want to do more for those players, but for the rest of the, the membership, it's like just focus on the experience, give them the best experience you can and enjoy the game as much. I think, I think a lot of players and parents for that matter would benefit from listening to a lot of the stuff that decisions every day that either improve or, or challenge what that experience looks like. And, and again, we don't spend enough time talking about that because we kind of get sucked into the, the logistical operational stuff of trying to make this work. But at the end of the day, like I've always said, any league that we look at, like there, there's five priorities and those priorities may shift or change or you might weigh one more than the other. Um, but we have to decide on what those priorities are and then we have to make a decision that reflects what they are. And, and I don't think they should be constant. I think they need to change. Obviously, the game's changed and, and the environment for our clubs and the challenges that they're facing have changed significantly now more than ever, just like they have for us. But revisiting those priorities and, and, and just talking about the league, is what is the experience that the membership loves to see? And I see it more as being team-by-team team basis because like our our goal for our ISL has always been the right level of competition. We haven't always, you know, there, 
challenging us a little bit in that. And it's not the vision for ISL from top to bottom was create a a consistent league experience where teams can move up or down based on the level of play that you need at. And and I think we've succeeded in regards to you know, seeing teams like like Tri State out of Sioux City that came in and surprised people. Um, we haven't seen some races that we've been you know taking it a long time and we were quality and they they won state cup where they probably wouldn't have gotten to that point if they didn't get in the lead and have that kind of usage of taking a good game. Because um, a lot of those communities just don't have access to it. So were you teeing me up? What's that? Were you teeing me up on purpose? Say yes. Yes. Say yes, right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, well, no, so I, I think you know we've covered a lot, and I, I just want to touch on this little piece before we kind of wrap it up um, and give you a chance to um, say whatever you want to say. But I just, I just want to talk about the geography of the state, and you, know, you mentioned something like Sioux City, where you know, Sioux City is what, like three and a half hours, four hours from Des Moines? A little over three, yeah. Yeah, okay. Probably so depends on who you talk to. Yeah, not yeah. if you're driving, maybe if you're driving to Kia, yeah. exactly, you drive, so maybe it's four. But yeah, fair enough. Well, so, I mean, same, same distance that you drive to play Bettendorf, but I don't think a lot of people are driving west to Sioux City as, as often as they're driving east to Bettendorf. Some of that might be driven by facilities, but I guess I just bring that up because all of the corners of Iowa, other than like the absolute northwest, um, and like maybe from side to side, for the most part, it's pretty accessible. So I just wonder, how do you how do you bring more of like the Sioux City, Council Bluffs, like Southern Iowa, Northern Iowa, where they're little kind of mini deserts or whatever you want to call them? Uh, how do you get them more involved? And we need to. There's there's good soccer taking place up there, and unfortunately, we see through the high schools occasionally, right? You see these the, the yeah. like a high school team appear, and you're like, they play club, and you find out they don't. It's like, yeah. like and, how, how? and part of that really was one of the driving factors and why we wanted those teams to be in ISL so they could compete against those teams and prepare for state cup um, as some of these cups. But so we've gone, Council Bluffs is always one that occasionally they had three, four, sometimes five, six teams in. And from a scheduling perspective, we always had to, to figure out a way to make it work for them. In Sioux City, it was like, there was literally the coach and the manager would put all the kids in a van. They would leave at five in the morning they would come down, play two games, maybe stay the night, play a third game on Sunday. Like right. we've done different experience. Yeah. We we did as much as we could to make that and the reality is is especially when you look at like the, the top teams, it would be nice to send teams occasionally like reciprocate that and, and send teams away. We don't do that because there's only one team and if you're gonna travel two plus hours we always had to be nullified. But that's where it's like the difference between the, the premier division is you really should travel to play. Like when I decided to play travel soccer for teams, like we had a conversation with Aaron. He said, "You want to take on this commitment, and if you do it, like you're all in." Like I don't feel like that exists as much anymore, and that's where it's like we want Council Bluffs has gone up and gone down and gone up. It's like we're trying to give them reasonable schedules, but are they really fair? Like we've started sending more and more teams over here. We've got good facilities. We've got the new indoor. Facilities. I mean, there's no reason we, we shouldn't. Got a mini pitch? Yeah. Here you go. Um, Good plug. But, but yeah, we're that's that's where we need to, again, with those priorities for those region, the priorities being different for the top divisions than, than the bottom divisions. But, um, you know, we haven't, we haven't really, we talk about growing the game, but we haven't done enough to try to support some of the challenges of the outliers. Um, they all have different challenges. I think as a state association, it's like, uh, where do you invest your time and resources when you know they're limited and you can only do so much? And, and that's probably been a challenge for us is, is we've invested significant resources in some areas while at the same time haven't given enough to, to others. And four years ago, I was traveling out west trying to figure out how to get leagues established and still haven't done it. But there's a lot of, there's actually some soccer between Council Bluffs and here that's taking place and could be much better. Should be much better, and it's probably an area that you know we need to continue to to figure out ways to help them. Same with Penn State, Iowa, and that area. So it's exciting. I think we want to get to work with it, but again, it's it's like we have our own challenges within our own league, where the critical mass is actually quite strong. Yeah. So well, I mean, that's maybe my my I mentioned my question to you. you know, if they if they want, they'll figure out how to organize it too. So 
logo of that big one. So uh, I'd like to see that. That'd be cool if there was a change in the way they pronounce their lives. Yeah, and that's where I mean I think anyone who knows me like I'm always happy to to have a conversation. Um, I've been trying. I've got a good gap between Zach and Colin, and then Hugo doing a lot of great things with the referees. Like I'm I'm trying to get somewhat out of the scheduling stuff. Like before this, I was adding games and doing like just trying to, to survive in that aspect, but I've been trying to get out of that a little bit and have more conversations to figure out how do we how do we think outside the box a little bit to find ways to to not only grow the league, but anytime they expand the league, like Burlington and Mooncrest yeah. is another example. It's like it's just tough for us to provide them a good product because they're so far away. But the reality is is there's a lot of soccer kind of between Iowa City Muskie and Burlington that's being played, but it's just not being played on the Iowa soccer. So if you can help provide them a little bit better structure, um, you know, which always brings that into me with our programming is trying to influence the other parent groups, coaches, stuff like that. Um, so just, again, how do we prioritize our, our time and resources and energy to, to do the best? Right now, yeah, we're, it's always exciting for us to get the season started. It's always chaos a week or two before the season starts. But, um, I mean, we are, we're committed to, obviously, a third party coming in, help, you know, interviewing us, interviewing our membership, trying to figure out, you know, are there, are there blind spots that, that I have or we have? Are there things that we haven't tried that we should try? Um, they're doing stuff in all over the country, so I think, in, in other states, specifically within our region as well. So um, they have a pretty good grasp of, of what's going on and what's happening in Iowa is no different than what they do in the other states. So there's, there's models out that for how it works and how it challenges us. And I mean, I'm a competitive guy by nature, so the reality is it's competition always gets better. Um, and I think, I mean, we've had those conversations internally and with members as well. Like, look, we've been, We've been pretty consistent year over year, and maybe that wasn't the best year. Um, so, you know, we're every day we're thinking about different ways to try to improve it. And, and at the end of the day, like Dan said, and our members will say, is as a state of Iowa, we're definitely better together. Um, some states have had success where they're kind of fractured and doing different things. Where it's it's sad to see teams driving past good competition to go find good or average or sometimes poor competition. Um, but the reality is, is all of our clubs are in different places. They all have different things that they're trying to solve. Um, we want to be part of it if we can. Uh, but it's going to be it's going to be an exciting couple months to figure out, you know, who this individual is and come in and try to get the feedback that, that you know, we either have heard or haven't heard. And, I mean, I'm as excited as anyone to, to see what he thinks is the ideal solution and like you guys are kind of talking about what you'd like to see at the league. I love having those conversations. I'm open to those conversations. So if you're listening, give me a call. Flash of digits here on the, uh, <laughs> the edit yeah. version. Um, cool. Well, we really appreciate you coming in. And, you know, we're going to circle back here in uh, another week or so and have a chat with uh, you and Dan and see if there's any questions from our, our listeners. Hopefully we'll have all sorts of well, we got quite a bit from from, uh, from Dan. So. Okay, perfect. I don't monitor the DMs. So. He was wondering if he made his podcast. Ooh. Oh, no. Not yet. Not yet. No, but one of our most oh. recent, I think 2021 has made the top 10 already. That's true. Yeah. I'll let him know. <laughs> oh, we know he's listening. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. So I've enjoyed it. Good. Great. Um, we'll talk to you again in a week. I'll be here. Thanks, Greg. Thanks. Thanks.
good chat, Siebs. I enjoyed it. It's the first time I've like had a, an in-depth conversation with Craig before. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, we've known Craig for a while, and I think that's the longest time I've ever talked to him in one sitting. So, yeah, fair good. enough. I uh, actually just took the dog the other day down to the old Drake and Mural Fields where we were playing the day that I uh, raked him with my cleats. <laughs> just thought about him for a minute there. <laughs> uh, anyway, so. Uh, yeah, super, super good chat, though. Really enjoyed it. Um, thanks again, Craig, and uh, for taking the time and to ISA for letting him take the time. Um, we will be excited to welcome them all back. Or when I say all, I mean, Craig, uh, Winger, and Dan Cataldi, they're going to come back and join us. Um, please slide into the DMs with any questions you've got. Um, we really like to open the conversation up. We've been uh, generating our own questions, haven't we, Siebs? We have. Um, but, you know, we'd like to hear from the the you know the viewers make sure that they you know people know this is a serious soccer podcast yeah uh, and maybe we we don't act like we know it all so i know that's because we're free to fill in yeah right on um okay well and so and maybe it's also caveat worth mentioning is that the the conversation did take place before uh uh, the big announcement from the CDL announcing their departure from ISA. I think that came out on the 28th of March. We chatted with Craig the week prior. So um, it will be interesting to get all the, the business here shortly. So I um, agree. Yeah. So, I mean, last thing supporters club members, we just had one last week again. So get on there, Twitter, kick it. KIF underscore soccer, Facebook, KIF soccer, Instagram, KIF Soccer, YouTube page, search Kick It Forward. We're actually getting a significant number of views now and subscribers. So keep it keep it up, folks. Keep yeah, it up. We love you. 